This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. I'm San Francisco Chronicle columnist Heather Knight, and you're listening to Fifth and Mission. Almost exactly a year ago, Lenore Estrada, the owner of Three Babes Bake Shop in the Bayview, saw almost all of her customer base disappear due to the onset of the COVID-19 pandemic. She had way too many extra pies on hand and needed a way to get rid of them. That was the very start of the SF New Deal, a program that uses private donations to pay restaurants for food to feed hungry people. The idea is to keep the restaurants afloat and ensure those in poverty have enough to eat. In the past year, Estrada's organization has dispersed $19.5 million to 184 restaurants, food trucks, and caterers around San Francisco. An SF New Deal has also delivered 1.83 million meals to hungry people in the city. Estrada is very busy, particularly because she's building out a new bakery in the Mission. We talked at the store, which is under construction, so pardon any background noise. Lenora Estrada, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Great to be here. It's nice to be in your under construction bakery. That's right. <laughs> in my construction site, welcome. If you'd like some bucket lids, I have plenty. <laughs> when do you think uh, your shop will be open? We're hoping um, at this point to get in by the beginning of May, but we'll see. Mm-hmm. Um, we've been hoping to get in <laughs> in like two months for the past two years. So um, I'm, I'm hoping that it's coming to a close. Okay. Well, you are the founder of SF New Deal, and I was wondering if you can explain what that is and how it came to be. Sure. Um, I'm the co-founder of SF New Deal. Um, I can't claim full credit um, (laughs) as much as I might want to. Um, But uh, basically, gosh, a year ago, um, (laughs) we started SF New Deal. And the background is I'm a small business owner. I own a baking business that I've had for 10 years. Um, And a year ago, we, we basically realized that all of our um, customers were pulling their orders. And and most of our customers at that time were, were large companies. So we serviced five Google campuses in San Francisco, um, the Lyft building, like, like places like that. And we realized that our big customers were going to shut down for one to three months, they said at the time. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and that was really 80 to 90% of our revenue, depending on the month. Um, and so we just realized that we weren't going to be able to make it if we didn't lay off employees. Mm-hmm. And we had 26 staff members. Um, and I, I first... I first kind of had this plan to cut people by a third and make up for some of it with work share. And then I, I remember coming in on this Monday and as the day wore on, um, more and more customers called to just cancel their order and tell us they were shutting down indefinitely. Oh, wow. And um, I went, I had meetings with like the same person <laughs> multiple times in one day saying first, like you're cut 30%. Oh, I'm so sorry. You're cut 70%. Oh, I'm sorry. Like we're going to have to lay you off. Yeah. And um, so out of 26 people, we cut 20. And six people, we took down to 40% time. Mm. Um, at the time, we also just didn't know as much about the virus. And so we structured the schedule so that we only had one person in the kitchen at a time. Mm-hmm. And they would overlap with another person for 30 minutes so mm-hmm. they could debrief. Um, and that was how we did it. Um, but I just remember going out in the backyard at our at our kitchen in the Bayview and just crying and like looking at nature and thinking like, okay, like this is nature. Like as as 
advanced as we think we are as humans, we can't control this force mm -hmm. and like people are going to die. Like this is, this is real. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and yeah. um, I just remember, especially for my staff who are undocumented, knowing that they weren't getting support from any place mm -hmm. um, and that they might become food insecure or that some of them would lose their health care. And like, you know, I could help them navigate the system and like go to SF General and get like healthy San Francisco. Um, but like I was worried they might get COVID waiting in line at the general, you know, you just don't know what you're sending people out mm -hmm. into. And um, I remember feeling just like the weight of that responsibility and a lot of, a lot of anxiety and fear and sadness. I also had just found out I was pregnant. Oh, wow. Um, with my second child. Um, but anyway, we had this, um, I have this, this friend who actually, he, he worked for me starting when he was 15. His name is Jacob Beinman. And, um, he kind of came to help me shut things down. He, he just, he'd graduated from college the previous year and, um, he was trying to find ways. We, we had all these pies left, like pie day had, Oh, that's like, right. Yeah. Pie, pie day, day was just about March to happen 14th. when we, uh -huh. yeah, we, I think we laid everyone off on March 6th and, um, Pie Day was about to happen and we'd built up all this inventory and then everything had been canceled. So Jacob thought, okay, what if we found people to buy pies and we could just give them away? Like who would take pies? <laughs> so I would have taken <laughs> So he started reaching out to different organizations who might be able to help us with this. Um, and then the next week, my friend Emmett Shear, who's the CEO of Twitch, um, called and said he was very worried about what was happening and what would happen, especially to the community of small business owners. And if he were willing to make a sizable donation to kick us off, would I be willing to start a nonprofit to get that money out to the community? And so, um, you know, we quickly went from thinking about the problem and solutions on the three babe scale of things mm -hmm. and went to like, how could we help the whole city? Um, and so Jacob and I started this nonprofit and, um, we actually already had some people who had said yes to the would you take free food question. Um, we found out very quickly that both people wanted free food and also there were many restaurants that wanted that business and really yeah. needed that business. And so, um, yeah, we just started. So um, on March 23rd, we made 100 sandwiches in Jacob's mom's kitchen and we delivered them um, to Citywide Case Management which is a department, uh, it's a division of UCSF's Department of, um, of Mental Health. Mm -hmm. And um, they serve severely, some of the city's most severely mentally ill, mm -hmm. Ill patients. Um, and so we, we delivered this food there. And then we, we had gotten three restaurants on board, but it took them a few days to, to get started. And so the first week we did, we worked with three restaurants and we, um, we did a thousand meals. And then by the second week, we'd onboarded 24 restaurants and we did 19,000 meals. And then, um, actually, so the, the restaurants are getting paid to make food to give to people in need. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. So we we offered ten dollars and had people make a meal, mm -hmm. and um, we sort of had to play around with the distribution model. Um, the first week we had restaurants deliver themselves, and then um, the second week we tried to do like a distribution hub. Um, we we set up at four one nine, which is Jacob's like normal place place of employment. It's an arts and event space uh -huh. in Soma. And um, that didn't work at all. <laughs> <laughs> Live and learn. So then the week after that, we went back to sort of volunteers. And um, and then pretty quickly, Cruise Automation, they offered to start delivering food for us. Mm -hmm. um, and that worked out really well because for a while, our bottleneck was really just like getting enough bodies to deliver the meals. Mm -hmm. um, it was very hard at the beginning of the pandemic to get people to come out. And so like oftentimes I was delivering meals or Jacob was delivering mm -hmm. meals um, in my car. <laughs> um, so yeah, once that got taken care of, then we were kind of able to scale more. So um, we began working, like the way we made it work really was 
working with groups of people who already knew what they were doing. <laughs> the restaurants already knew how to make the food. And then we had all these community-based organizations had very deep knowledge of the various constituents they were serving. And so um, the earliest people we worked with were the African-American Faith-Based Coalition, which is a group of 18 um, churches mm -hmm. that work together as pastors and volunteers that work together to provide services. Um, and Veronica Shepard and Jonathan Butler are the two leaders there. And um, they're both incredible and just had this deep knowledge and trust um, of the people they were serving. And that really allowed us to like get the food out there quickly. And we didn't waste a lot of time, you know, trying to forge relationships because mm -hmm. we only had to make relationships with one person. And that was kind of the super connector yeah. of that group. And so um, we ended up working with a bunch of community-based organizations, serving everyone from women who'd formerly been trafficked, who were living in a shelter, um, women who had just given, given birth and were homeless, um, all kinds of groups like this. And so relatively quickly, um, we were able to scale. And um, early on, the Human Rights Commission um, really understood that um, for people of color and lower-income communities in San Francisco, this pandemic was going to be um, just felt much yeah. more quickly and deeply than the broader population. And so they, um, Brittany Chiquata, who um, works for Human Rights Commission, she um, worked really hard to get money to um, pay for food to go to people who are living in, in these public housing sites. Mm -hmm. And so um, we worked with them early on. And so basically every week since the second week we did things, which I think was like the end of March, um, we've done between 19,000 and 50,000 meals. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And so we, um, we just this week, this is our 52nd week or that we just finished and we, um, surpassed $20 million, like distributed to the community. Wow. Um, and yeah, we've done, I think 1.8 million meals. We'll be right back after a short break. You can support Fifth and Mission and the newsroom that creates it by signing up for unlimited Chronicle access at sfchronicle.com slash pod. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory... Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. How does it feel to go from just this, like, how do I get rid of these extra pies to, you know, <laughs> distributing so much money in food? Um, I definitely, at the beginning of things, felt this extremely strong sense of urgency. Like I was pregnant and like I worked, I worked all nighters a lot. I would work till two or three in the morning. A lot of times I'd work like 40 hours in a row and then sleep four hours, 40 hours in a row, sleep oh four hours. Gosh. And I, it was not sustainable, but I think I, um, I, I mean, our whole team was volunteers at that time. And I think all of us felt this, you know, really strong sense of belief in the mission. Mm -hmm. You know, we didn't want businesses to close and we didn't want people to go hungry. Mm -hmm. And the crazy thing we found when we started providing service was that like for a lot of these people, this was the only meal they were receiving in the day and they weren't they weren't getting other sources of food. Mm -hmm. You know, we connected with food runners. We mm -hmm. connected with a, a number of different organizations providing food relief to see if there was overlap and we're shocked to find that mm -hmm. there was not. Mm -hmm. And um, food insecurity, of course, was a problem before the pandemic. And I think um, I was... I don't know. Um, I don't know if disappointed is the right word, but like I, I felt a sense of urgency around like helping. And I was certainly 
disheartened, I guess, by like the extent to which the current systems that existed pre-COVID were not meeting people's needs. Um, Yeah. And the more I got to know about it, um, I I mean, I thought it was fascinating. It was my first time working with government really. Um, But like learning about how federal contracts work Mm -hmm. and rules around how federal money is spent on food and learning about SNAP and all of that. Mm I um, certainly became quickly aware that the existing systems we have are insufficient to provide mm-hmm. for the needs of our community. Yeah. Now that we have a light at the end of the tunnel and hopefully the pandemic is easing, you just told me you were vaccinated, like there are definitely signs of hope. Do you think that SF New Deal will continue? Will there be a need for this beyond the immediate crisis? Yeah. Um, so we, we're very much aware that the the fragility of small businesses and um, food insecurity were both huge issues pre-COVID, and I think they will continue to be. And we're seeing um, on the small business side of things, people emerging with like a lot of debt mm-hmm. um, despite federal relief. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of businesses are coming out of this having maxed out their credit cards, maxed out their line of credit, um, and needing support to rebuild. Yeah. Um, so we're we're here to support with that. Um, and then also on the food insecurity side of things, we really want to see more sustainable solutions that can help to address the root cause. Um, you know, giving people meals because they're hungry today is really important because they have to eat. Yeah. Um, but also it, it, we want to see solutions that are really addressing yes, yeah. the long-term reasons why this is happening. And so I, there's no plan to wind down SFU? No, no, no. Yeah. yeah. At this point, we have 18 staff members mm-hmm. um, and we're planning to continue on. Um, and, and then I guess I didn't say this before, but so at the beginning of our organization last March, we were 100% funded by donations mm-hmm. and um, we, we ran through money quite quickly, just like feeding the community. And then starting in May, we applied for some government contracts and were awarded those. And so basically what we did was use the collective power of the group to apply for these, um, for these contracts. And then we sort of broke them down into like little <laughs> like little mini um, relationships that, that we're um, we're bringing on board these restaurants and they're receiving that flow of federal money that would, mm-hmm. you know, otherwise be spent on like an Aramark or really big company. We're making it possible for small businesses to participate in that stream of money. And so I think that actually is um, unique about what we're doing. Yeah. One of the more interesting things. And um, I would love to see that done more often yeah. because the federal government is spending money all the time mm-hmm. anyway. And if you're spending on a huge company or a company that's publicly traded, the kind of company that would do prison food, for, for example, um, like some amount of money has to go to shareholders and you just have a much bigger differential between what the top person is being paid and the lowest person is being mm-hmm. paid. Whereas at a small business, like there is really no difference between like what my dishwasher gets paid and what I get paid. Yeah. There's just a lot less of that. Like the, the band where people are paid is, is much smaller. Right. And you're getting that money out to the community much more quickly. Like all the money that we're spending here is like going directly to staff members, rent local food businesses or like local, um, local farms, for example. And, um, you're just getting that money flowing back into the community much more quickly. And so I think it's a very effective way to spend money. Um, so how are you um, managing SF New Deal and your own small business, which is a bakery? Yes. And two little kids. <laughs> it's really hard. Yeah, I'll be honest about that. I think, um, I mean, I, I took some time off after my child was born. My son was born in um, October. And Congratulations. Thank you so much. Um, the whole team has really stepped up. As I mentioned, we have 18 staff members, and I think a lot of people want to put the focus on like the founders. And I think Jacob does not get anywhere near the credit that he deserves because he is, um, 
is like so integral to the work that we do. Um, Janae Zarlin, who's our COO, she stepped up and filled in for me when I was out um, on maternity leave. And, and frankly, like I worked ovens last Thanksgiving for three babes, like with a baby strapped to my body. Wow. <laughs> you know, I was like not available because I was working to support my staff. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the whole team has has is working together to solve the problems. But I think we have an amazing team and um, – and everyone's very committed <laughs> to to the mission, so um, that's that's been great. But it, but it is still hard. I do think I'm splitting my time right now, and um, I feel guilty certainly sometimes about not being there enough for for three babes. We've been around ten years, and we have an incredible team there as well. Mm-hmm. But like everyone deserves to have mentorship and guidance, and you know um, reviews done on time and all that. But so I think. Um, Certainly, I think my staff at Three Babes have had less of my attention, which um, I don't feel great about. Um, But, you know, there are only so many hours. (laughs) The life of working moms, right? (laughs) You always feel like you're shortchanging somebody. (laughs) Yep. Um, so we are sitting in a construction site in the mission, which yeah. will eventually be your new bakery site. Yes. Um, when should listeners expect to be able to come and get a pie here? I'm hoping in May. <laughs> uh-huh. We'll see. Um, we don't have that much left to do. We have to put in the new hood, install the HVAC system, um, and install the lights and a few other things. But I, I think we're getting pretty close, I hope. Yeah. So hopefully May or June. Yeah. Yeah. Fourth of July pie. Get it here. <laughs> um, and... Talk to me a little bit about how hard it is to be a small business owner in San Francisco. It was already hard before the pandemic, but then now it's, you know, such a double whammy. And what do you think the future of small businesses is in this city? Because yeah. so many are closing. That's a great question. I, um, so as you mentioned, it's a hard place to own a business. Um, let's see. <laughs> Where to start? I, know. <laughs> I do think there, um, there's a lot of regulation. So um, we talked about this earlier, but just even getting a new space open has taken me years and hundreds of thousands of dollars, and I really think it shouldn't be that way. Um, You should be able to have a much more simplified permitting process. Um, And I think also it's just pre-pandemic, it was definitely the hardest hiring market I had ever seen. It's so expensive to live here. And and when we're looking at like the root causes of, of many of these problems that we're seeing and many of the most visible problems on our streets, so like homelessness, needles, you know, the things that people um, struggle with the most about living here. Um, and a lot of it boils down to lack of housing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, you know, if I, and, and, and then there are a bunch of things that go with that. Mm-hmm. So like housing is unaffordable here. Public transportation is difficult. Mm-hmm. It, it means that like I have staff members who can't afford to live here, and no, I mean, no one at my at my company makes minimum wage. Everyone makes like seventeen dollars an hour or more. But like you know, even paying our dishwasher seventeen fifty or eighteen dollars an hour, like they're never going to be able to make enough to like. Where do most of them live? I mean, so many of our monolingual Spanish speakers live in the city, but in crowded situations, sometimes with other people who are not members of their immediate family. And we did see that with COVID, mm-hmm. um, these were the conditions in which um, people were most likely, it seemed. Did some of your staffers yes. get COVID? Yeah. Um, yes. So we did have some staff members who got COVID. Are they okay? Yes. Everyone is okay. Thank goodness. Um, uh, what else? Um, a lot of people live in the East Bay, but again, you know, public transit's not that great. We're in the Bayview, um, which is again a neighborhood not that doesn't well ha- served, yeah. exactly it's not well served and so it means like what does that mean for, both for the people who live there and the people who try to work there it's just like there's not enough investment in that community and so with us of new deal we're seeing the same thing like the southeast is one of the places where like historically they've just been an underserved neighborhood but um anywho um 
I think like the co high cost of housing here, I think we must address that the housing shortage if we want to make it possible for small business owners to operate because like, who are we going to hire? Mm -hmm. um, it's great to have uh, people who are well-paid move here for well-paid jobs. And, um, but like who supports all the restaurants <laughs> that are going to feed those people or the grocery stores or, you know, the shoe, the shoe repair store, whatever it is. Um, and I think we can all agree that um, small businesses are the thing that make it great to live in a given place. Like no one wants to live somewhere where all there are are like Kmarts. Yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, I, I think when I started my business, I was really interested. I mean, we make organic, you know, we use organic ingredients from the Central Valley. I'm from Stockton. I was really interested in kind of the stories around food production and supporting the economy of the Central Valley. Um, and the longer I've been at it, the more interested I've become in small business issues and um, the just the what it takes <laughs> to like make it work. Yeah. I have a Yale education, you know, and I'm, I'm quite tenacious. And even for me, I often think about quitting. Yeah. Um, and so I think like I hope to be able to help other people um, create good places to work. Mm -hmm. and, um, and, and at this point, it's not even like I make very much money at all from what I'm doing. And I'm, I'm doing it to try to create something positive for my staff. Mm -hmm. I think in food, people often don't, um, they come in almost like abused <laughs> from, from like bad conditions in the industry at large. And um, I'm trying to create a place that's a more positive place to work where people feel invested in, where they feel like they can consider their future and, and what, how they might want to develop and have a growth mindset and gain skills that they can take elsewhere in a positive way in their, their future. So, mm -hmm. yeah. And your company made headlines before the pandemic for getting stiffed by Munchery. That's right. <laughs> I yes. think that they, they shortchanged you $20,000. That's right. Yeah. Um, tell me how that resolved or did it. Yeah. So basically, for those who don't know, Munchery was a food delivery company and they folded in, um, gosh, twenty early 2019. Um, and they didn't let any of their vendors know and just like didn't pay their debts. And so when that happened... Um, it was odd. I sort of oddly, I just decided to go show up and try to get paid at their door. And then that kicked off like a whole thing. <laughs> you were like in all headlines. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I ended up, we had like a protest outside there. So I started doing all this investigation into how like the money flows and why this happened and incentives around venture investing and, um, you know, like learned a bunch about, about like the, the conditions that led to this happening. Um, and also I, I thought it was like, profoundly unfair that the head of a big company can sort of get away with this. Whereas for someone like me, if I close down my company and default on my debts, I am personally liable. So like all the small business owners have to personally guarantee all of their loans <laughs> and accounts. And so like if I close my business, I'm declaring personal bankruptcy and that didn't happen to the CEO of Munchery. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, I kind of was interested in exploring why it was that for someone who, um, had like a much bigger business, he still got paid and continued to get paid, whereas like small people like us didn't get anything. Um, so anyway, we ended up having a protest outside the investors' offices and, and kind of various various things happened. But um, a year later, we actually got a letter, well, almost a year later on Christmas Eve, um, saying that a group of Muntry investors and executives had pulled their money to pay back all the small vendors. Oh, good. Yeah. So we got paid back, all the other people as well. Um, okay. Yeah. Crumble and Whist cheesecakes, dandelion. It was a bunch of like smaller businesses that um, yeah. all were owed money. So well, yeah, that's a good 20K. Christmas gift. It was. <laughs> I know it was a Christmas miracle. We were. I was shocked. I shrieked. I think. I, was like, I can't believe this. <laughs> well, great. You survived my serious questions, and now it's time oh. for the lightning round. Oh, great! I'm excited. 
Bring it on. <laughs> Where is your favorite place in San Francisco to get a burrito? Oh, gosh. Where's my favorite place? I like Taqueria Vallarta on mm-hmm. 24th Street. Oh, that is very specific. A lot of people are like, that one in the mission. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> what no, is- they have the little <laughs> wheel of meat outside. It's very oh, nice. Yeah. What is your favorite movie filmed in San Francisco? My favorite movie is probably The Last Black Man in San Francisco. Where's your favorite place in the city to get a stiff drink? Ooh, great question. My favorite place in the city. Well, okay. Hmm. I really, I used to like Laconda actually, uh-huh. but they closed. Uh. Um, uh, where else would I go? For, I, I think um, the the upstairs for Mr. Jews, uh-huh. um, they have a nice cocktail lounge. Okay. Um, I like that pre-pandemic. Yeah. It's hard to know, I, I know, guess, which place they're coming back. back. So <laughs> <laughs> I know, it's been so long. <laughs> what was your first concert? My first concert. Oh my gosh. In San Francisco? No, anywhere. Anywhere. Um, I had never been to a concert, I don't think, until I went to college. And I think they brought like the Counting Crows or Uh something. And like, I don't know. And then someone realized that like I'd never been to a concert before. I made a big deal out of it. But I I believe that was it. I was 18. Yeah. What was the last book you read? You may not have read in a long time because you have so much going on. But Oh, man. Yes. Um, It's hard to think of a book I've successfully completed. Um, I've been trying to read, I try to read books and then oftentimes don't finish. Um, the book I would recommend to everyone that I can remember completing is High Output Management by Andy Grove. Highly recommend it for any operator. It's a must read. What is the best thing on your menu? Um, so our menu changes with the seasons, um, about to be strawberry rhubarb crumble. Um, I definitely prefer tart, like tart flavor profiles. Mm -hmm. So I love like an apricot pie or an emerald butte plum raspberry, or blackberry pie, but strawberry rhubarb is about to be back. Urena Farms just got strawberries last week, so awesome. it's go time. What is your favorite flavor of pie? Okay. Um, I think I just mentioned this, but the Emerald Butte Plum Raspberry. So um, Frog Hollow Farm has Emerald Butte Plums. They're a small green plum, uh-huh. and they're very tart, and they're only around for like a short season. Okay. Um, and we pair them with raspberries, and they're delicious. With and, a streusel top. Okay. Besides your own, what is your favorite restaurant or bakery in San Francisco? Oh, okay. This is really hard. <laughs> Man, I I have a huge soft spot for 20th Century Cafe. Uh-huh. I always say their cake, honey cake, is the greatest cake of our time. Um, but also, it's, during non-COVID times, it's just such a nice place to go. Uh-huh. It's, like, so beautiful, and it's, like, full of light, and you get a nice little teacup. <laughs> Nice. <laughs> with hot chocolate. They're, they have an incredible hot chocolate, um, hot butterscotch, incredible. And Michelle Polzine just is so passionate about what she does. And I think it really shows in the food. And I love going there. Oh, cool. What are you most looking forward to about the pandemic ending? Something you're not allowed to do now that you really want to do? Oh, man. So many things. I, I look forward to like going to eat inside a restaurant with friends. I think it'd just be fun to have a fun party, yeah. <laughs> you know, where you can like laugh and drink and eat good food. Yeah. Um, yeah. Have a dance party. That would be pretty fun. Um, those are the, probably the things the most. Okay. Um, and what last question, what is something you always make sure to squeeze into your busy day? I, you know, I pretty much always eat breakfast. Yeah. Yeah. I think even um, like you had to push back the interview. So I went to DeBose Park or to um, Dolores Park Cafe and got uh-huh. a breakfast sandwich. Nice. <laughs> Definitely have to eat breakfast. Um, See, you're glad that I was late. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. (laughs) Worked out. (laughs) Great. Well, thank you so much for talking to me. It was fun to meet you. Thank you. Thank you to Lenora Estrada for joining me today, to King Kaufman for producing this episode, and to you for listening. 